Well, the results are out from the annual health survey that's conducted by Gallup each year, in which they ask Americans to assess their mental and emotional health. A summary of the survey results was presented in an article on their website this past week that was titled, Americans' Mental Health Ratings Sink to New Low. Well, given all that's happened in 2020, that shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. The article, it notes that this decline in mental and emotional well-being are, quote, undoubtedly influenced by the corona pandemic, which continues to profoundly disrupt people's lives, but may also reflect views of the election and the state of race relations, both of which were on Americans' minds this year. The results of this survey were broken down into various demographic groups and then compared to the results of the same survey that, that, was, that was conducted the previous year in 2019. And there was a notable drop in the numbers of people who rated their mental and emotional health as, quote, excellent, with an average percentage decline of about 10%. That was true for every demographic group but one. So let me state that one more time for us. There's been a notable decline in the mental and emotional health of every demographic group except one. Males, females, married, single, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, and so forth, all exhibited a decline in mental and emotional health between 2019 and 2020 with the average decline being about 10%. There was one demographic group, though, which actually showed a small increase in mental and emotional well-being. Do you know which group that was? It was those who, regularly involve, who are regularly involved in and practicing their religious faith. I'm not making that up. The one demographic group that saw an increase in mental and emotional well-being was the group of people who are regularly involved in and practicing their religious faith. I think that's really interesting. The past many months have been very unusual and difficult. Our lives have been challenged and disrupted on many different fronts. I mean, even something as silly as buying toilet paper at the grocery store has become a trial at times. What is it that continues to hold us together through all of this. It's our relationship with the Lord. That doesn't mean there isn't struggle. There can be a lot of struggle. We're going to talk about that struggle in the Bible study today. But our faith and hope in the Lord gives us resiliency through that struggle. Well, we're continuing our study of some Psalms today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 42 and 43. So if you have your Bible, you can Flip over to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. These psalms were written by the sons of Korah, similar to Psalm 84, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And you might remember from that study that the Korahites were a subgroup of the Levites who served as gatekeepers and singers at the temple. Gatekeepers were the rough equivalent of what we might think of as ushers, security guards, and janitors all rolled into one. Most Bible scholars believe that Psalms 42 and 43 were originally a single psalm, 
which was divided into two pieces at some point centuries ago. In fact, some of the original Hebrew manuscripts show these two psalms as a single psalm, and your Bible may actually have a footnote about that. Mine does here, right next to the title Psalm 42. There's a little letter A there, and down at the bottom, the footnote says that some Hebrew manuscripts show these two psalms as a single psalm. Well, in our study, we're going to look at these two psalms as a single psalm. This psalm is what is referred to as a lament. What's a lament? A, a lament. It's a crying out to God for help and deliverance from distress or pain or loss. It's an expression of sorrow or mourning. About a third of the psalms are considered laments which indicates that a major topic in the Psalms is suffering as it comes to us in its many forms. I mean, pain, heartbreak, death, frustration, confusion, anger, fear, sadness, depression, loneliness, humiliation, discouragement, defeat, grief, disillusionment, loss of various kinds. We find these things expressed in many of the Psalms. As the psalmists lay out their hearts before the Lord, and the readers. One of the things that we appreciate about the Psalms is the honesty and the transparency of the writers as they share their struggles. They don't pretend that everything is all sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns for the person of faith. The human experience is full of struggle and difficulty. We have all been invited to that party. There's a recurring refrain in Psalm 42:43, which identifies the central theme of the psalm for us. That repeated refrain is in verse 5, then again in verse 11 of Psalm 42, and then again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Psalm 42:5. this is the refrain that's repeated. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. The central theme is the struggle of a downcast soul. What does this word downcast mean? Well, the Hebrew word translated as downcast literally means melt away, sink down, disintegrate. It means to be depressed, discouraged, dejected, in despair. A quick point of clarification, though, before moving on, I want to make sure that you understand that I'm using the word depression not in a clinical depression kind of way. That is something that a trained professional should be sought for help and treatment. I'm talking about the kind of depression that we can all find ourselves struggling with at times as a reaction to life's circumstances. As we read through this psalm, we're going to be seesawed back and forth as the writer oscillates through lament and hope, as he struggles through the thoughts and the emotions assaulting him in response to his circumstances, as he tries to find resolution in the midst of all of it. It may feel a bit disjointed to read through this psalm, but this is also one of the things that I appreciate about it. The psalmist is honest about the struggle, the back and forth, the seesawing of emotions that can happen when going through intense difficulty. 
Our thoughts can be disjointed. We can swing from one end of the spectrum to the other. We can be in a pit of despair one moment and then suddenly see a glimmer of hope. We can cry out to the Lord for deliverance and be frustrated that He's silent and He lacks response, feeling forsaken by Him, and then remember His faithfulness and encourage ourselves to have hope in Him. Round and round we can go. It's not a neat, pretty, organized thing. It's chaotic and random and it's a lurching as we fight to find our secure footing in the Lord. That's the reality of it. So let's dive in. Psalm 42, verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist expresses his deep longing for fellowship with God. He he wants to connect with God. He wants to be touched by God. He wants to experience God's presence. And we're not told what the actual situation was that this psalmist is referring to in this psalm. But based on the content of the psalm and what we know about Israelite history, it's believed that he is not able to return to his place of worship, the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, probably because he's been taken captive and exiled by one of Israel's conquering enemies. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, the imagery is of a deer thirsty, exhausted, fatigued, wearied, hunting for a drink of water to refresh itself, to restore life to its languishing body. And isn't that an apt description of the deep driving thirst in our soul for God? Only God can satisfy us. Only God can rescue us. Augustine, he famously said that our soul is restless until we find our rest in God. We are created to be in relationship with God. Our soul thirsts for that and we remain restless without it. He asks the question here in verse 2, when can I go and meet with God? Can, can you sense the urgency in his plea? He feels far from God because of the circumstances of his life. He's struggling with depression and discouragement. He's feeling disconnected and distant from the Lord. The pandemic has created a situation for us which has some similarities to what the psalmist is facing here, hasn't it? I mean, because of the pandemic, we are prevented from gathering for worship in the ways that we used to and the ways that we find the most beneficial to us. We know the Lord's not confined to a physical place like a church building, but worshiping together through live stream is not the same, is it, as gathering together with our brothers and sisters in person. There's a, there's a strengthening that we get from one another that we're not getting from that. The, the joy of gathering together has been taken from us. And this separation, it's been going on for a lot longer than any of us thought it would ever go. We naively thought that it would be two or three weeks and then we'd all get back to normal. It's been many months and it will likely be several more months. We're not sure what normal is even going to look like when it's all over. We echo the psalmist's longing question, when can I go and meet with God? There are many circumstances in our life where, that raise questions like that where we feel separated from God and we cry out. Verse 3, it says, My tears have been my flood, or my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, 
Where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night. The writer has literally been crying day and night, longing for God's deliverance. And then to add insult to injury, he's being taunted and ridiculed by those who don't share his faith in God. They ask him, where is your God? If your God really loved you, why doesn't he come and help you? Why do you keep looking to your God for a solution to your problems? He obviously doesn't care about you, or he's forgotten about you, or he doesn't even exist. You're wasting your time holding out vain hope. Most people tend to be polite about religion and God, and they pay little attention to all of it until a real tragedy happens in their life. And then they demand an explanation from you and your God. Where's your God now? How can your God allow something like this to happen? If God allows this to happen, I want no part of Him. There's obvious contradiction in their condemnation. They don't want God in their life. They want God to leave them alone. But then when tragedy strikes, they place all of the responsibility on God. It's God's fault that this awful thing has happened. God should have prevented it from happening. God is cruel and heartless because He let this happen to me. We can't have it both ways. We can't tell God to stay out of our life and then when something bad happens, blame Him for it because He didn't intervene in our life and prevent it from happening. For us as believers, when we have a relationship with God, bad things still happen. But the Lord helps us through them. He has given us a promise that all things, whether good or bad, will be used by Him for His glory and for our ultimate good. How it will work out is not always shown to us, but we trust Him that it's true. We take hold of His promise by faith. The pandemic, again, comes to mind. Where is your God? How can God allow this to happen? If God is real, why doesn't He do something about this? Maybe you've even asked those questions yourself. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So as the psalmist is pouring out his soul in grief, he remembers the way it used to be. He remembers better days when he was able to freely worship the Lord with others among the festive throng with shouts of joy and praise. Those days are gone. Again, the pandemic comes to mind, the restrictions that we have to live with that have been imposed on us because of the pandemic. It easily comes to mind. We remember how we used to be able to gather for worship with one another among the festive throng. Shaking hands and giving hugs and not worrying about social distancing and not wearing face masks and singing out in joy and praise. As I was walking through the empty hallway of the church this morning, I was trying to remember back the last time there was a festive throng filling those hallways. It's been too long. We remember how we used to be able to meet in our small groups and here at church or in another 
one another's homes rather than by video conferencing. We remember how we used to invite one another over to our homes to share a meal and spend time together. We remember how the kids could go to school every day and learn in their classrooms and play with their friends. We remember attending classes at college and eating out in restaurants and going to athletic club and getting a haircut and greeting people with a handshake and finding the store shelves full of 20 different brands of toilet paper. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. For some of us, the loss has been even greater through sickness and even death in some cases. I pour out my soul as I remember the ones that I've lost. We need to be careful about how we remember the past, though, don't we? We want to use our remembrance of the past to motivate us to pray for the Lord's healing and restoration. We want to use our remembrance of the past to cause us to realign our priorities and cherish what's truly important in our life. I mean, there's that old saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Loss can help us identify the things of real value and the things that were a big fat waste of time. We want to remember the past to remind us of the Lord's faithfulness. He was faithful before. He'll be faithful again now. He can be trusted. Getting into this mindset of always looking back to the good old days, to the way things used to be, that's not very good. It can lead to depression and discouragement and disillusionment. It can cause us to fail to appreciate what we have. It can cause us to get stuck in our life and not grow. It can cause us to lose vision and enthusiasm for the future and the new things that the Lord wants to do in our life. We need to be careful how we remember the past. In verse 5, this is the refrain that is repeated. Throughout the psalm, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This refrain, it's repeated three times across Psalm 42, 43. As we said earlier, it points out the theme of the psalm. But more importantly, it provides the anchoring thoughts that the psalmist keeps coming back to, which carry him through his downcast soul. What are these anchoring thoughts? He talks to himself. He doesn't remain as a passive observer and listener of himself. He takes an active role in the discussion going on inside of him. See, when the faithless, discouraged, depressed voice in me starts telling me how awful and hopeless everything is, the voice of faith and courage and hope, it needs to start talking, challenging that other voice. It needs to say, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. 
See, he puts his hope in the Lord. He entrusts his future to the Lord. He says, I will yet praise him. He reminds himself who his God and Savior are. He takes hold of who is certain and secure. The Lord. You see, things are not always settled quickly, are they? It's not always one and done when it comes to our soul. Rarely is. So as mentioned earlier, there's often a seesawing back and forth as we struggle through intense difficulty. It can be chaotic and random and lurching as we fight to find our secure footing in the Lord. And so after having this important conversation with himself, the psalmist, he lurches back toward discouragement and depression again. In verse 6, he says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. My soul is downcast within me. He acknowledges that the struggle continues. He remembers the sweetness of the past, the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. These are symbols of the promised land, of his home, of the goodness of God. He longs for these things. Verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Deep calls to deep. The Hebrew word translated deep, it literally means flood or abyss. Knowing that helps us get at the meaning of this verse. He says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. You know, this is the same exact words, word for word, that Jonah said in Jonah 2, 3, when he was thrown overboard in that huge storm and he was sinking down into the deep abyss. See, the psalmist is expressing in poetic form the overwhelming despair he feels. Wave after wave is breaking over me, submerging me, pulling me down. The roar is deafening like a giant waterfall. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's always looked to the Lord for help. But as we discover in the next verse, he feels his prayer is going unanswered. Verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why have you forgotten me? The Lord is his rock, his, his strength, his foundation, but he's not coming to his rescue. He feels forsaken, forgotten, ignored. He continues to be tormented by that question, where is your God? My bones suffer mortal agony. What a gut-wrenching description of the emotional pain that he's experiencing. In verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The same refrain that is found in verse 5 is repeated again here at the end of this cycle of struggle. 
These again are the anchoring thoughts that the psalmist keeps coming back to which carry him through his downcast soul. He talks to himself. He doesn't remain a passive observer and listener of himself. He takes an active role in the discussion going on inside of him and he speaks the truth to himself. He puts his hope in the Lord. He entrusts his future to God. He reminds himself who's really God and Savior. He takes hold of who is certain and secure. But his struggle continues. Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause. Against an unfaithful nation, rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So he cries out to God for vindication and rescue. But his cry is not answered. He asks God, why have you rejected me? Why must I go on mourning? When we are in the depths of despair with a downcast soul, it can feel like the whole world is against us. And it feels like God keeps hitting the decline button when we call him. Our perceptions are not always reality, though especially when we're downcast, struggling with depression and despair. That's why we can't let our circumstances and the emotional storms raging inside of us be the last word. We need to go to the Word of God for the last word. Verse 3, Send me your light and your Faithful care, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. But his prayer, his prayer continues with this beautiful plea for the Lord to send his light and his faithful care to lead him, to Bring him to this place of worship where he can praise the Lord, his joy and his delight. And in verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the same refrain that was in verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42. And now for the third time here, it's repeated, ending this third stanza of struggle. And again, these are the anchoring thoughts that the psalmist keeps coming back to which carry him through his downcast soul. He talks to himself. He doesn't remain passive listening to himself. He doesn't let the circumstances of his life have the last word. He puts his hope in the Lord. He entrusts his future to the Lord. He reminds himself who is his God and Savior. He takes hold of the one who is certain and secure. And for us, in our own struggle with a downcast soul, let us keep going back to the same anchoring thoughts. 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. The Lord is our mighty one, it says in this psalm. Our Savior, our rock, our stronghold, our joy, our delight, our life. We are not spared the struggle. But we have these anchoring truths to take hold of. Let us put our hope in God. We will yet praise Him. He is our Savior and our in prayer. Father, we thank you for this psalm and the truths that it speaks to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling even in this moment with a downcast soul. Lord, that you would reach down and lift them up out of the miry pit and set their feet firmly on the rock. Encourage them in this moment and renew their strength, Lord. Remind them of who you are. Remind them that their future is in you, not in their circumstances. Remind them that you are their Savior, you are their God. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.